Okay, so over the course of this retreat so far, we've been developing a strong foundation of mindfulness of the body, which is, I think you know, is the first of the four establishments of mindfulness that are laid out in the Satipatthana Sutta. And over the last couple of days, we've been really strengthening our capacity to just be with our experience, with bare awareness, as it's sometimes known or non-reactivity, non-reactivity to whatever sensations in the body present themselves. And we could easily spend the whole rest of this week, actually a month or more, exploring all the different approaches to mindfulness of the body that are included just in that first establishment of mindfulness. But because this is a relatively short retreat, I'd like to move on now and to start to explore other aspects of our experience beyond the body. And we can do this because our sati and samadhi are quite a bit stronger now than they were at the beginning of the retreat. So we can begin to open up the field of our awareness to include what in the Buddha's teachings are known as the six sense doors. So the six sense doors, uh, they're called doors because they're how experience seems to come in, how we seem to receive experience. So we receive sights and sounds and smells and tastes and physical sensations. And then the mind is also a sense door because the mind has the capacity to see visual images. We talk about seeing with our mind's eye. And we can hear things, very common on retreat, to hear music. don't want to get you all started, but sometimes we get this particular song just lodged in our brain. So the mind can almost generate all kinds of different sense impressions internally. Now in the context of our ordinary everyday life, this stream of sense contacts usually feels pretty continuous, like a continuous stream. And we don't really recognize that all of our myriad complex experiences are actually made up of individual moments of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and physical sensations and mental activity. That's all. But I like to not have you just take my word for it. So, can any of you think of an experience that you've had or are having right now that isn't one of those six things? No. In any moment, that's all that's happening. It's like a six-piece orchestra. We perceive music, but actually it's notes of different kinds. And just recognizing that much, recognizing that what we think of as the world out there and me in here is actually a flow of sense impressions that this organism is generating itself. And this is an important insight. Because if we can understand the process of how our experience is happening, it's a little bit easier not to get caught up and lost in the content of it to not cling to it, not resist it, not take it personally. So what we're doing now is in a way starting to deconstruct our experience, to deconstruct it into its component parts. 
And in fact, one of the literal translations of the Pali word Vipassana is seeing separately or seeing distinctly. Seeing clearly how all of these different aspects of experience combine often to construct an identity, a sense of me who's somehow separate from a world out there. So our physiology, our nervous system, it takes that raw data from the sense doors and it begins this self-constructing process. And that process is enhanced by our habitual mental reactions to all of those contacts at the sense doors. So in our ordinary lives, when we have an experience at one of the sense doors, we usually have a automatic mental reaction of liking or disliking it. And when there's no mindfulness, that liking or disliking gets amplified into clinging and resisting, and then amplified further, very often, into a complete thought storm that takes us way out of the present moment and spins us out in what's known as proliferation. So proliferation is that very common (coughs) tendency of the mind just to get caught up and to spin out its own narrative. And again, just check, does anybody not know what that refers to? So proliferation is just that sense of ruminating and going over and over and amplifying something that's happened. And it's suffering. So as an antidote to that tendency, it can be very helpful, as we have been doing, to practice this what's known as bare awareness. So staying very close to just the immediacy of the sense contacts. So just knowing physical sensations in the body. Just knowing, seeing, or hearing, or smelling, and so on. Staying there and reining in any tendency to go into reactivity to them. So just to acknowledge though that what we refer to as bare awareness is not some kind of pure state, pure mental experience that we're somehow trying to get to. Because in actual practice our awareness is always conditioned, always affected by previous perceptions. So, simple example, if you think of a rugby ball, it's in your mind's eye now, you can see a sort of an oval brown shape. If I was to bring one in, you'd know that's a rugby ball. And you might also notice that your personal and societal history brings in all kinds of associations with that. Depending on your age, you might go to the Springbok tour, and suddenly this whole world has been born just from the seeing of the rugby ball. So we can think of this as a spectrum. At one end, we're moving towards bare awareness, where we're just recognizing a shape, a color, a texture, maybe just a bare recognition of ball and that it's a rugby ball. And then at the other is all of the associations and things that get freighted on to that uh, simple perception. So most of the time in retreat, we're trying to stay as close to the bare awareness end of the spectrum as we can. 
And when we are able to stay closer to this more simple understanding of what's happening in the body, and then separately what's happening in the mind, it's another crucial insight in the context context of the pasma, because we can't always control what happens to our bodies, but what we do have some control over is how we react in the mind. And so this is really the significance of, of this understanding. So I'm guessing many of you are familiar with the famous discourse where the Buddha talks about adding a second dart of reactivity to our experience. Do you all know that one? So he says, he uses analogy, an analogy. It's like if a man, or what he actually says is an untaught worldling. So if an untaught worldling was hit, pierced by a dart, the untaught worldling is somebody who has no meditation training. So this poor untaught worldling gets shot by an arrow or a dart. He has a painful feeling, but then he worries and grieves and laments and beats his breast and weeps and is distraught. So the Buddha says he then experiences two kinds of feeling, the painful bodily feeling and then the painful mental reaction. And then, of course, he contrasts that with the meditator. And the meditator has the painful feeling of the first dart, but they don't add the second dart. And as I often like to joke, it would be nice if we just stopped at a second dart, but most of us tend to go to two, ten, fifty, a hundred darts And so we want to keep noticing when that's happening and to keep trying to come back closer to just that immediate experience. And again, this might sound pretty simple. In theory, not so easy in practice. So to help with this, the Buddha invited us to pay very close attention to another aspect of our experience that is usually overlooked but is actually crucial in helping us cut through this chain reaction of proliferation. And this is what the Buddha referred to as Vedana, or feeling tone. And it refers to just that very first simple recognition of whether any experience at any of the sense doors is registering as either pleasant or unpleasant, or neither, in other words, neutral. So that's so simple and basic that we can sort of think, well, so what? Seeing something that's pleasant, what's the big deal? Hearing a sound like the geese this morning. (laughs) You may have noticed sometimes it was pleasant, sometimes it was unpleasant. And then maybe it faded away and it was just neutral. But this is happening all the time, usually just below the level of our conscious awareness. And in spite of that, it very powerfully conditions our reactivity. So, on one level, very basic, obvious. If something's pleasant, what's the reaction? Don't overthink it. (laughs) Wanting, thank you. (laughs) And the opposite, if it's unpleasant. Pushing away, resisting, not liking. If it's neutral, we tend to just not even register it at all, skip over it, often go to something that's more stimulating. 
So these three movements, if we don't see them, they're conditioning what in the Buddha's teachings are known as the three core afflictive energies of greed, of hatred, of delusion. So pleasant feeling tone with unconscious reaction to it strengthens greed in the mind. Unpleasant feeling tone without awareness strengthens aversion in the mind. And neutral feeling tone, if there's no awareness, conditions, strengthens ignorance, delusion. So we're trying to bring awareness to this very crucial part of our experience. And there's a famous quote by the psychologist and Auschwitz survivor, Viktor Frankl, that many of you probably know, where he says, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. That's another way of framing what we're doing here, opening up that space between the stimulus and the response. And the bigger we can make that space, the more choice we have. The more choice we have about how to respond instead of just acting out of habit or on autopilot. Is this making sense so far? So there's one caveat that sometimes when people hear about this invitation to pay attention to reactivity, sometimes they think, well, that means I'm supposed to just sit there like a stone, kind of inert, and not have any reaction to anything whatsoever and become unfeeling or lifeless. But this is a pretty serious misunderstanding. What we're trying to do is understand the difference between what we might call a response on one hand and a reaction on the other. So a reaction is that more unconscious, habitual tendency to move towards or away into liking or not liking, clinging or resisting. And from there, greed and aversion. On the other hand, a response points to a more aware understanding, one that's not so driven by old habits or instinct. So when we can bring awareness to feeling tone, we have a better chance of making an informed decision about how we're going to respond rather than just blindly react. Sometimes there's a similar misunderstanding, particularly in relation to pleasant feeling tones. So sometimes people develop almost a fear of pleasant feeling tone, worried that they're going to automatically cling to them. But it's not the feeling tone itself that's the issue. We can't actually, for the most part, we can't stop pleasant feeling tones coming up. They're just a natural part of life. But what we can bring awareness to is what happens next if we default into wanting and clinging and so forth. And it may sound counterintuitive, but sometimes when we can just stay with pleasant feeling tone, as pleasant feeling tone, it's actually more pleasant than trying to hold on to the experience. Because that subtle or not so subtle wanting in the mind creates an agitation that's actually unpleasant if we look carefully. We're going to be exploring some of this pretty soon. But just as one further example this time in relation to unpleasant feeling tones and the implications of this. So 
in my own practice, quite a few years ago now, I was on retreat at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts. And about maybe five years before that retreat, I had been involved in a very painful interpersonal conflict with a group. And I thought I got beyond it. But when I was on retreat and meditating, my mind just kept getting sucked into the story of who said what and how I reacted and what I should have said and didn't and how they should have behaved and who was right and who was wrong and uh, 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 uh. Don't know if any of you recognize that particular thing. <laughs> this went on, I don't even know for how long. It seemed like a really long time, just stuck in that groove, rehashing the same old, same old story. I just felt so stuck with it. And at some point I thought, how do I explore this in a different way? And so I thought, what if I let go of the narrative and just pay attention to the feeling tone? And of course, it was all pretty unpleasant. But I recognized, oh, I was just hearing unpleasant words. And then I was seeing unpleasant facial expressions. And then I was noticing unpleasant reactions in the body, unpleasant emotions in the heart and the mind and then unpleasant thoughts, and then more unpleasant feelings in the body, and so on. And it all just cascaded into a flow of unpleasant feeling tone, none of which I had really recognized at the time. I knew I didn't like it, but I wasn't really tuned in to that level. And when I saw it, I understood none of that drama was personal. It was just every one of us, including me, not knowing how to relate more skillfully to unpleasant feeling tone. And if we look on that level, every conflict, every war, every act of harmful behavior, on some level is because we don't know how to manage how we respond to feeling tone. So I understood more clearly then why the Buddha put so much emphasis on this deceptively simple aspect of our experience. So because it is so important, in a moment I'd like to find a way of exploring this more directly in our experience, and we'll be doing some meditation together again. So I'll leave the instructions for there for now.